Hi, everyone. My name is Rohan Shah. I'm a sixth year PhD student at the Center for Human Compatible AI at UC Berkeley. Uh, my research is generally on what happens when you try to do deep reinforcement learning in environments that involve humans somehow. And more broadly, uh, I work on technical AI safety. Um, I also write the alignment newsletter. Uh, and today I'll be talking to you about what's been happening in the AI alignment. I should warn you, while this talk doesn't assume any technical knowledge of AI, it does assume basic familiarity with the arguments for AI risk. Um, I'll be sur surveying a broad swath of work rather than focusing on the things I'm personally interested in. I'm hoping that this will let you figure out what parts of AI alignment you personally feel most excited by uh, and want to delve into deeper later. A lot of the talk is based on a literature review I wrote a couple of months ago. Um, and so you can find references and details in this link in the top right corner. It's just going to stay there for the rest of the talk. Um, yeah. And so with that, let's get started. Uh, so at a very high level uh, outside view, uh, the reason that like most people work on AI safety is that, you know, powerful AI systems are going to be a big deal. They're going to radically transform the world that we live in. And so we should probably be putting in some effort into making sure that this sort of transformative effect goes well. Uh, in particular, if AI systems are smarter than us, then they could become the dominant force on the planet which would be, well, could be bad for us. Uh, in the same way that like gorillas are probably not stoked about how we have like taken over all of their habitats. Um, and so this doesn't necessarily mean that there will be X risk. It just says that we should have a good technical reason to expect that the powerful AI systems we build are actually beneficial for us. And I would argue that we currently do not have such a reason. And so like the case for working on AI alignment is that we really should be creating this reason. Um, and I wanted to note that like, while there's a lot of disagreement on many specific sub questions in AI safety, uh, and that will become a bit more evident over the rest of this talk, at least on this basic high level argument, my impression is that basically everybody in the field agrees with it, uh, agrees with this high level outside view argument. Okay. So what are the specific risks we're worried about with AI? Uh, one issue you might be worried about is that humans aren't really ready to deal with the impacts of AI. Uh, so humans tend to fight a lot right now. There's like some amount of conflict. People keep talking about like how the US-China relationship is a big deal. And AI is just going to let us have better and better ways of fighting. Seems pretty bad. Uh, like maybe we just have our fights get bigger, have bigger and bigger impacts on us. And maybe at some point this actually leads to extinction level events. Uh, or perhaps AI, um, or perhaps AI leads to technical progress, uh, technological progress at too fast a rate for us to get accustomed to. And as a result, maybe we lock in some suboptimal values. And that's a way that uh, we could get past dependence. Um, so in both of these stories, the, the AI system isn't intentionally causing X risk. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, X risk does perhaps happen. Um, I'm not going to focus too much on them. I'll just note that, like, some ideas that people are talking about are preference aggregation. So, in this, uh, with this idea, you would have the AI system aggregate the preferences over, um, well, all of the stakeholders. And then everyone would agree to just, like, let the AI system 
do its thing and then wouldn't uh, wouldn't fight with the results of whatever the AI system does. Uh, and similarly, we could try and figure out uh, better meta philosophy so that we don't have uh, problems like value lock-in. Okay, another outside view that people use besides just like, man, powerful AI is a big deal, is that optimization in particular leads to extreme outcomes. <clears throat> like to take a like very simple example, on average, at least in the US, men are about five feet, 10 inches tall. But if you look at basketball players who are selected for height, you're going to find that not very many of them are five foot 10 and most are in fact well over six feet. Um, the point here is that when you select for something, when you have optimization pressure, you tend to get extreme outcomes. Um, and powerful AI systems are going to be very powerful optimizers. Uh, and as a result, we probably shouldn't expect our everyday reasoning to properly account for what these optimizers are going to do. And so we need to take more of a security mindset where we look for arguments that quantify over every possibility as opposed to the average possibility. Uh, so this sort of mindset inspires researchers, especially at Miri, to try to understand how intelligence really works so that we could then make well-designed AI systems that we understand. Um, and so this has led to research on embedded agency, partial agency, and abstraction. Um, a little bit about embedded agency. This is like one of Miri's main research programs. Uh, and the basic idea is that in the sort of standard model of uh, reinforcement learning and AI more generally, there is an environment which takes in actions and produces observations and awards. And then completely separately from the environment, there is the agent that like sees these observations and takes actions as a result. And those are not actually how agents actually work. I am presumably an agent, but I am not separated from the environment um, of the world. I like am a part of it. And this leads to many, um, many problems in, well, many philosophical problems. Uh, I would love to go into more detail, but don't have too much time. There's a great sequence on the alignment forum about this. I strongly recommend it. Cool. Uh, the next problem I want to talk about is probably the most familiar one to people in this audience. Uh, I call it the specification problem. It's also called outer alignment. Uh, basically with this problem, um, is, this problem is, the fact, is that the way we build AI systems right now is to assume that we have some sort of specification of the optimal behavior in all possible situations that is infallible, as though it were like handed down to us from God. Uh, and then given the specific specification, we have to figure out how to meet it. And of course, we can never actually get the specification. Like the classic paperclip maximizer example shows that it's like pretty hard to specify the behavior of like make paperclips in a reasonable and sane way. Like turns out that that's quite hard to actually specify. Um, this is also the main problem that Stuart Russell's new book, Human Compatible, talks about uh, in terms of like who's working on the problem, like Chai, OpenAI, DeepMind, Ott, they're, they're all doing work on this problem. Not necessarily just this problem, but certainly some part of their work is on uh, solving the specification problem. Um, the main proposed way of solving the specification problem 
is to do some form of value learning. Uh, and one thing I want to note, value over here doesn't necessarily mean normative value. Uh, you don't ne necessarily need to be thinking about population ethics here. Uh, it totally would count as value learning if you had a robot that like learned how to clean your room and then reliably cleaned your room. Like that totally is value learning. Maybe we should be calling it specification learning, but value learning seems to be the name that is stuck. Uh, so types of value learning, um, CERL or assistance games. The CERL stands for cooperative inverse reinforcement learning. This is a particular formalization of how you could do value learning in which the world contains a single human who knows the like reward function, the true specification, but for some reason can't communicate it explicitly to the robot. Uh, to the agent. And then there is also an agent whose goal is to infer what the human's specification is and then optimize for it. Uh, and because now you don't have a definite, uh, because the agent no longer has a definite specification that it's trying to optimize and it's instead uncertain over what it's trying to uh, optimize, uh, this gets you a lot of like nice properties. Uh, so, for example, the agent will ask you about what you want. It will try to clarify what your preferences are. Uh, if you try to shut it down, it will reason that it must have been doing a poor job of helping you. And so it's going to allow you to shut it down, uh, unlike a classic expected utility maximizer, which will say, nope, I'm not going to shut down uh, because if I am shut down, then it's like, then I can't achieve my goal. Um, so that's Searle or assistance games. Um, the unfortunate thing about uh, assistance games is that they are very, very, very computationally intractable. Uh, it's very expensive to solve a Searle game. Uh, in addition, it requires you to know, um, to have a good model of how human preferences relate to human behavior, which as many, social many of the social sciences will tell you is a very, very difficult problem. Uh, and there is a theorem that says it is provably impossible in the like super general case, though of course we don't actually need the super general case, we only need the case that actually applies in the real world. And that instead of being provably impossible is merely very, very difficult. Um, yeah. So after Searle, we have learning human intent. This is basically a broad category of possible ways, uh, possible communication protocols that a human could use to communicate the specification to the agent. Uh, so perhaps a human could uh, demonstrate the like optimal behavior to the agent, and then the agent could learn from that what, it, what it's supposed to do. Uh, so this is the idea behind inverse reinforcement learning and imitation learning. Alternatively, perhaps the uh, human could evaluate uh, proposed hypothetical behaviors that the agent could execute. Uh, and then the agent could say, could reason over basically what the human said was good in order to figure out what it should be doing. So after that, let's come to intent alignment or corrigibility. Uh, these are somewhat different. While the previous approaches are like trying to specify an algorithm that learns values, with intent alignment, we're instead trying to build an agent that tries to do what we want it to do. Uh, so to put it another way, we're trying to uh, bake into the agent a motivation to be helpful to us. 
And so if we then have this agent that is like, all I want to do is to be helpful to Rodin, um, that's going to naturally motivate it to do all of these other things that we want it to do. So for example, it's going to try to clarify what my preferences are uh, in the same way that like a good personal assistant would try to figure out what my preferences over flights are so that he or she didn't have to bother me uh, when I asked them to like book me a flight. Yeah, cool. So that's a sort of broad spectrum of approaches to value learning. However, there are still a few problems that arise. Uh, so intuitively, one big problem is that since the agent is learning from our feedback, it's not going to be able to do better than we can do. It's not going to be able to scale to superhuman performance. So if we're demonstrating the task to the agent, it's not going to be able to perform the task any better than us because nothing is giving it the information of like how to do better than us. Uh, similarly, if we're evaluating the agent's behavior, uh, it won't be able to find good behaviors that we wouldn't recognize as good. So like an example of like where we might have cared about this is AlphaGo's move 37. This was a pretty famous um, move that AlphaGo made, which seemed really, really crazy to humans. No human would have like ever done this move. I think it was assigned to like less than one in 10,000 chance. Um, and yet that move ended up being crucial uh, to AlphaGo's uh, success. And why could AlphaGo do this? Because AlphaGo wasn't re relying on our ability to tell whether or not a particular move was good. AlphaGo was just relying on the fact that there was a reward function that told it when it had won and when it had lost. And that was a perfect specification of like what counts as winning or losing in Go. So ideally, we would like to build super intelligent AI systems that can actually exceed um, human performance at tasks, but it's not clear how we do this with value learning. Um, the key idea that lets us, that lets current approaches get around this is that, sure, our AI systems are never going to exceed the like supervision that we give them, but maybe we can uh, train our AI systems to approximate what we would do if we had a very, very, very long time to think. So, you could imagine as a hypothetical, if I got a thousand years to think about whether what the best thing to do was, and then I like told the AI system, hey, this is what the best thing to do is in this scenario, and the AI system like properly approximated this, um, then that would be, but like it could do it in a couple of minutes as opposed to a thousand years. That would be presumably very, very super intelligent. Um, so... The details for how we take this insight and get to an algorithm that, you know, we can actually train in not a thousand years. Um, the, the details are a bit involved and I'm not going to go into them, but the the like techniques to look out for are uh, iterated amplification, debate, and recursive reward modeling. Cool. So that was one problem with value learning. Another problem with value learning is the informed oversight problem. This problem is basically that even if we are providing supervision to the agent, and even if we're smarter than the agent that we're training, let's just take that as a given for now. Uh, if we don't understand why the agent chose an action, we won't be able to effectively supervise it. Um, so the classic example for this problem is consider an agent that's tasked to write a new novel. Uh, 
perhaps it's got access to a library where it's supposed to learn about how to write how to write books. Um, and it can use this in order to write a new novel, but like the new novel is supposed to be actually new, not, not just memorizing some novel from the library and spitting it back out again. But like, it's possible that the agent just like looks at five books in the library, uh, plagiarizes a bunch from all of them, and like, puts that together into a book that like reads very nicely to us, um, but doesn't really solve the task because it was plagiarized. How are we supposed to know? How are we supposed to tell the agent that this was bad? Uh, if we can't actually see that the agent was looking at these five books and like stealing sentences from them, uh, then we, in order to catch this, we'd have to read the entire library, all the like thousands of books to like search for any evidence of the agent plagiarizing. And this seems like just way more expensive than it, uh, this seems too expensive uh, for oversight. And right, so the overall problem is that we have, it may be way more costly for us to give oversight than it is for the agent to uh, take actions if we cannot see how the agent is taking those actions. Uh, so the key idea to solve this is, I mean, it's almost obvious. It's just make sure you know what, how the agent is taking their actions. Uh, and there's, a, again, a bunch of details on how exactly we think about this, but uh, the term to look for is ascription universality. Basically, this property means that the supervisor knows everything that the agent knows, uh, including any facts of, about how the agent like chose its output. Um, and so then, if we were ascription universal with respect to the agent, uh, then we would know that uh, then we would know that it had like taken these sentences uh, from these five books because the agent knows that. Um, and if we knew that, then we could appropriately penalize it and tell it not to uh, plagiarize in the future. Uh, how do we get this property? Sadly, I'm not going to tell you because again, limited time, but there's a great set of uh, blog posts and a summary in the alignment newsletter. Uh, and all of this is linked to from, once again, that link in the top right corner Really, I just want you to read that link. It's like a great, I, I put in a lot of work. I think it's good. Um, cool. All right, let's move on to another top level problem. Um, so this will be the problem of MESA optimization. Uh, so I'm going to illustrate MESA optimization with a non-AI example. So let's suppose you're searching over a space of programs like programs in just some programming language, let's say Python. Um, and we're looking for a program that plays tic-tac-toe well. And so you're searching through these programs and initially you'd like find some programs that have good heuristics, like maybe you find a program that like always starts at the center square and that one tends to like win a little more often than the other ones. Um, and then later maybe you uh, find a program that like makes sure that anytime it's got two in a row and the third spot is empty, it like actually plays in that third spot so that it ensures that it wins uh, if it can in one step. Uh, and that one starts to win a bit more. Uh, but then eventually, at some point, you come across the minimax algorithm. And the minimax algorithm plays optimally by searching for the best action to take in every situation. Um, and so what happened here was that your outer optimization, your search over the space of programs, 
ended up finding a program that was itself an optimizer that searched over possible moves in tic-tac-toe. Uh, and so this is the idea of Mesa optimization. You have some sort of base optimizer, in this case, to search over programs. And in the course of running, that base optimizer uh, then finds a new optimizer, uh, which in this case is the minimax algorithm. Cool. So why is this relevant to AI? This is just some weird thing about programs. Well, in the AI case, um, often we think about AI systems that are trained using gradient descent. And gradient descent is an optimization algorithm that searches over the space of neural net parameters to find some set of parameters that performs well on some loss function. Um, let's say that gradient descent is the outer optimizer in our Mesa, Mesa optimizer story. Uh, it seems pretty plausible that like this Mesa optimization thing could happen even with gradient descent, where gradient descent finds an instantiation of the neural net parameters such that then the neural net itself, when it runs, is performing some sort of optimization. Um, then the neural net would be a Mesa optimizer uh, that is uh, optimizing some sort of objective, which we would call the Mesa objective. Um, and we, while we know that the Mesa objective should lead to similar behavior as the like original objective on the training distribution, uh, because that's what it was selected to do, it may be arbitrarily different uh, off of the training distribution. So like if you trained it on tic-tac-toe, then like you know it's going to win at tic-tac-toe. But then maybe if you like switch to connect four, it might do something crazy. Maybe in connect four, it still only looks for three in a row instead of four in a row. And so it like loses pretty badly at connect four, um, even though it was working well with tic-tac-toe. Uh, so if this happened with gradient descent and we got a like very powerful intelligent agent, uh, intelligent neural net, um, that was up, even if we had like solved the specification problem and like had the like ideal reward function to train this agent, it might be that the neural net model that we come up with is per, is optimizing for a different objective, which may once again be misaligned with what, with what we actually want. Um, and this sort of outer inner distinction is why the specification problem is called outer alignment and why Mesa optimization is called inner alignment. Cool. So what are the things that people do to solve Mesa optimization? Well, there are two main, there's one main proposal and one kind of sort of proposal. Uh, the main proposal is adversarial training. Um, adversarial training, with adversarial training, the basic idea is that Rather than training a single AI system that's trying to perform well on your specification, you instead have both, you continue to train that system as usual, but you also have an adversary, an AI system or AI human team that's like trying to find situations in which the agent you're training would perform badly or would be optimizing for something that is different from the specification problem. Uh, in the case where you're trying to get a corrigible AI system, maybe you're like your adversary is looking for situations in which the AI system, um, in which the AI system like manipulates you or deceives you into thinking um, something is true when it is actually false. 
and then if you can find all such situations and penalize the agent from for them, then the agent will like stop behaving badly on those situations. And if you are actually able to find all of these situations, then you'll have an agent that is that robustly does the right thing across um, all settings. Uh, verification um, would take a trained agent and then verify some or the other property that you care about with that agent. Now, ideally, we would like to say, I have formally verified that the agent is going to reliably pursue the specification that, that I outlined. Whether this is actually possible or not, whether people are like actually optimistic or not, I'm like not totally clear on. Um, but it is a plausible approach that one could take. Uh, there are also like other, other areas of research that are related to like not obviously solutions. Um, so in particular, robustness to distributional shift is uh, pretty important because the way that you get risk in uh, with MESA optimization is uh, by distributional shift because on your training distribution, your agent is going to perform well. It's only when the world changes uh, that things could plausibly go badly. Okay. Um, a sort of notable, a notable thing that's missing from this is interpretability. I haven't really talked about it yet. So interpretability is a field of research which is trying to make sure that we can understand the AI systems that we train. Um, the reason it's I haven't included it yet is because it's sort of useful for everything. It's like, for example, you could use interpretability to uh, help your adversary find good uh, to help your adversary figure out in what situations um, your agent is going to do bad things, and this this would help uh, adversarial training work better. But you know, it's also useful for interpretability to do value learning so that you can provide uh, better feedback of, on the agent. If you like better understand what the agent is doing, you can better correct it. Um, and it's like especially relevant to informed oversight or description universality. So it's sort of this like, not obviously a solution in and of itself, but makes other solutions way better. Um, yeah. So these are all of the techniques that are trying to like align AI systems. There's also the option of just trying to prevent catastrophes. Like maybe the AI system will be useful, maybe it won't be. Someone else is gonna deal with that. What we're going to do is just stop it from like killing everybody. That's the main thing that we want to do. And so approaches and uh, approaches here include impact regularization, where the AI system is penalized for having large impacts on the world. Uh, so some techniques here are relative reachability and attainable utility preservation. And the hope here would be that you could create a powerful AI systems that can do, you know, somewhat impactful things like maybe writing new, uh, providing advice on writing new laws, but like wouldn't be able to do extremely impactful things like engineer uh, a pandemic that kills everybody. And so even if the AI system were like motivated to harm us, the impact penalty would prevent it from uh, doing something truly ridiculous, uh, truly catastrophic. Um, 
other things that people think about, oracles. Um, the idea here is to restrict the AI system's action space so that all it does is like answer questions. Um, this doesn't immediately provide you safety, but hopefully it like makes it a lot uh, makes it a lot harder for an AI system to cause a catastrophe. Or you could try to box the AI system um, so that it cannot have much of an impact on the world. Uh, and one example of a of recent work on this is BOMI or boxed myopic artificial intelligence. Um, and the idea there is to like put both the human and the AI system in a box um, so that they have no communication with the outside world while the AI system is operating. And then the AI system shuts down, the human leaves the box and is like able to use any information that the AI system gave them. Cool. Uh, so that's most of what I have in this like problem solution format. There's also a bunch of other work on AI safety uh, and AI alignment that's trying that's like not so easily categorized as problems and solutions. Um, so for example, there's work on safe exploration, adversarial examples, uncertainty. These all seem like pretty relevant to AI alignment. Um, but not sort of obvious where exactly in this graph they fit, at least to me, uh, so I haven't put them in. Uh, and there's also a lot of work on forecasting, uh, which is extremely relevant to what sorts of research agendas you want to pursue. So for example, there has been a lot of disagreement on whether or not there will be discontinuities in AI progress, whether there will at some point in the future be a time at which AI capabilities shoot up um, in a way that you couldn't have predicted by extrapolating past progress. Uh, another common disagreement is whether uh, whether advanced AI systems will look like uh, comprehensive AI services, which basically very, very short um, description. There are just a lot of services. Each task that you might want an AI system to do is performed by one service. You don't have like a single agent that's like doing all of the tasks. Or you could, on the other hand, imagine a single monolithic agent, uh, AI agent that like is able to do all tasks. So which of these two worlds are we likely to live in? That's another disagreement. And then a like third disagreement is whether it is possible to get to powerful AI systems by just like increasing the amounts of compute that we use with current methods. Or do we actually need some like deep insights in order to figure out, um, in order to get to powerful AI systems? Um, yeah. And as I said, this is all very relevant to like deciding what sort of research you want to do. Many, many research agendas only make sense under some, under like some possible worlds. And if you can find out that you're not in that possible, that, that world is like not very likely, then maybe you switch to a different research agenda. Cool. And yeah, with that, I, that concludes my talk. Uh, again, there's the link in the top right corner, tinyurl.com slash alignment2019. Uh, that's a link to the literature review that I wrote. There is both a short version and a long version. I really encourage you to read it. It goes into more detail than I could in this presentation. But yeah, thank you so much.